Okay, so why isn't the power of God changing us? I mean, why, why is everything so hard? Why is it so hard to accomplish the great things of God? We all know and we sense together as a congregation that God wants to do great and mighty things among us. That's not something new. We know who he is. He's the great God of creation, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the God who speaks the universe into existence. Why is it? That there are so many of us not experiencing the joy of our salvation. Why is it that so many of us are not experiencing the power of God to transform and change our lives? Why is it so many of us are not experiencing the power of God to to release us from sin? Why is it that we are still capped to our addictions? Why is it that all of the things that we try to do in the name of the Lord seem so hard to accomplish? Why is there so much opposition to everything that we want to do? Why is it... That the power of God is not really changing us the way it ought to. Seems to me that Daniel, the prophet, was asking that very same question as the tanks of Persia rolled into Babylon. Would you turn your Bibles with me, please, to Daniel chapter 9? By now, he's a very, very old man. It's 539 B.C. Daniel has been in exile for 60 plus years. He himself is probably 80 some odd years of age. And he probably got his, his, his iPod out and he was listening to the power of God's love is changing me. And he was really frustrated to think, why are we still under exile? Why are we still in captivity in Babylon? And now the Babylonians have been, have been unseated and the next nation has rolled in. Because it says in the text that it was the first year of Darius the Mede. The Persians, the Medes had now taken. And he's like, how long? How long, oh God? How long are we going to suffer? Now he had these visions of, the, of nation after nation coming. And, and, and he knew there were waves of, of, of horrible things that were coming. And now it's come to pass in his life. And we don't know when exactly during the first year... He, he decided to, to write this, but, but we do know that it was during that very same first year that uh, his colleagues turned on him and uh, questioned his loyalty to the kingdom. It, it, was, it was then that there was a lot of racial and, and, and religious persecution that, that ended up getting Daniel to, to, to spend one night eye to eye with lions in a, in a pit. So whether he wrote this before or after that, there's no question that that Daniel was under a great deal of strain and stress and asking the question as he looked around at his people still in captivity, still not able to go back to Jerusalem, still not able to go back to their homeland and back to the temple and the place where God resided and to worship him and to have celebrations. And he was asking, how long, oh God, how long are we going to suffer? So rather than stew in his own pity, he did what people of God should do, and he turned to the scriptures. And it says actually in that um, first couple of verses that it was in the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures... According to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, 
that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition and fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I was trying to understand. If Daniel went back and read his Bible, read from the prophet Jeremiah, the prophecies of Jeremiah, and he realized that that this captivity, this exile, was to last for 70 years, and he'd been there for some 60-plus years, why all of a sudden did Daniel write this chapter and describe this, this prayer, this agonizing prayer? So I thought to myself, well, maybe I'll do some investigation work, some forensic work, and go back to Jeremiah myself and try to try to determine what was going on in Daniel's heart. I can't prove this, but I think he read Jeremiah 25. Look with me for a second at this text. See if you think I might be right. In Jeremiah 25, beginning at verse 1, this is what I think Daniel encountered. The word came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah which was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. So Jeremiah the prophet said to all the people of Judah and to all those living in Jerusalem, now listen, for 23 years from the 13th year of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, uh, until this very day, the word of the Lord has come to me and I've spoken to you again and again, but you've not listened. And though the Lord has sent all his servants, the prophets, to you again and again, you've not listened or paid any attention. And they said, turn now, each of you, from your evil ways and your evil practices, and you can stay in the land the Lord gave to you and your fathers forever and ever. Do not follow other gods to serve and worship them. Do not provoke me to anger with what your hands have made. Then I will not harm you. But you did not listen to me, declares the Lord. And you've provoked me with what your hands have made, and you've brought harm to yourselves. Therefore, the Lord Almighty says this, because you have not listened to my words, I will summon all the peoples of the north, and my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, declares the Lord, and I will bring, I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all the surrounding nations. I will completely destroy them and make them an object of horror and scorn and an everlasting ruin. And I will banish from them the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of bride and bridegroom, the sound of millstones in the light of the lamp. This whole country will become a desolate wasteland, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Note this. But when the 70 years are fulfilled, I will punish the king of Babylon and his nation, the land of the Babylonians, for their guilt, declares the Lord, and will make it desolate forever. Now, Daniel's doing the math. He's read the text. And he, like us, if we read carefully, would note that what God had promised in prophetic terms to the people of God is that after the 70 years was up, he would hold the Babylonians responsible and he would cause them to be overthrown and for their land to be desolate. But Daniel is sitting in the land of Babylonia. The Babylonians have been chased out. A new regime has come. He's saying, wait a minute. We're still in captivity. 
I thought this was going to coincide, the 70 years and the overthrow of Babylon. When Babylon gets overthrown, we're going home. But we're still here. What's wrong? And so he went back and he looked again. And he was reading. He read in verse 2 again, Jeremiah the prophet said to all the people of Judah and to all those living in Jerusalem, for 23 years, the word of the Lord has come to me and I've spoken to you again and again, but you have not listened. And though the Lord has sent all his servants, the prophets to you again and again, you have not listened or paid attention. They said, turn now, each of you, from your evil ways and your evil practices, and you can stay in the land the Lord gave you and your fathers forever and ever. And he looked up from the scriptures, and that's when he called out. So I turned to the Lord, and I pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting, in sackcloth and ashes. You know why? Because he realized that the people had not changed. They had not repented. They'd not really turned from their evil ways. They'd not fallen in love with God all over again. They were just trying to wait out their punishment, their discipline. Just counting off the calendar. 70 years and we're out of here. Free as a bird. And we'll go about and do the same things we did that got, us back into, that got us into captivity in the first place. And Daniel realized to his horror as he looked around at his people, the people of God in exile, he realized, wait a second, the power of God is not changing them. They're not calling on the power of God. They're not relying on the power of God. They've become so immersed in the culture of Babylon that they've settled down. They've embraced the gods of the land. We're not ready for rescue. We're not ready for the great things of God to happen. And so he left the scriptures and he fell down on his knees and he prayed. Our Father and our God, this is not just history. This is a record of the nature of the people of God. Father, I pray this morning, as we consider our own lives, the frustrations of our lives, the impediments to the great things of God, the frustrations of not being able to accomplish the powerful things you want to do, the resistance from minor administrators who seem to hold up the great things of God. Oh God, maybe, just maybe. Maybe we are sinners. Maybe we're settling for wickedness. Maybe we're embracing the gods of the land. Maybe, maybe we've turned from you. Maybe we're not listening to your word. Because Father, we know that not one tiny bit of your amazing power has changed In all of eternity. So why? Why, God? 
are our marriages broken? Why are our relationships strained? Why won't we forgive each other? Why is there bitterness for years? Why is there minor accomplishments for God? Why, oh God, can't we shake our addictions? Why, oh God, why are we not out of exile and experiencing the amazing, powerful victories of God? Oh God, we thank you for the victories that we do receive. And this morning is no exception. But Father, where, oh where, are the days when you added 3,000 to your church in one day? So Lord, use this word this morning, please, to shake our hearts that this might be a day of transition. For your great name's sake, I pray. Amen. We have been used to, the last couple of weeks, grand visions, amazing metaphors, spectacular beasts and pictures, all that titillates the senses. But the Holy Spirit of God interrupts the memoirs of Daniel to return to really the true ratios of life. If you think about Daniel's whole life for 80 years, an 80-year span, over those 80 years, he's had a couple of dreams, and there's another vision to come, and he's interpreted a couple more. But the bread and butter of Daniel's spiritual life is not the splash and flare of apocalyptic grand visions. The normal Christian life is not apocalyptic visioneering. It is living by the book. Daniel, in his hour of need and concern, turns to the scriptures. He turns to the word of God. The objective laws of God that keep you living between the lines. In some ways, the simple proclamation and exposition of the word of God is falling into increasing disfavor. People are longing for the next inspiring event or some sort of ecstatic vision experience. And when, and when you tell them, well, I'm, I'm going to share the word of God with you. I'm going to tell you something from God. When they come to you with great burdens in their life, you say, oh, I want to tell you what God has to say. Like, it's almost a, a, a letdown, a disappointment. That's all you're going to do. More than mere words. God's word moves you to experience him. Into his presence. When you open the book, you are making a choice to bring your life into the ways of God. Do you understand that, beloved? Every morning of your life, when you choose to open that book, The orientation and reorientation choices the Christ follower makes to gaze more intently, intensely on Christ so that you will know him and that in knowing him, you will be able to experience every spiritual blessing that he wants you to have. 
So how's it going? God has offered to us to open up his, his endless bank account of resources, of blessings, and say, here, have them all, every spiritual blessing. It's not um, this person gets every spiritual, but this person doesn't. No, for every single believer, this offer is for you, every spiritual blessing, joy and peace of God, faithfulness and patience, all of the fruit of the Spirit, the enablement of you to use the gifts of the Spirit to to enable and empower people and to strengthen them and encourage them, all yours. So how's it going? We should be the most joyful of all people, right? But we're not. But be honest. I'm not. What's wrong with us? What's what's holding back the, 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 the having access? But what's holding us back from having it? Why are our marriages broken? Why are our people sick? Why are our people addicted? Why are people more interested in idols than God? Why all of these things? And it says in the text, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, that every spiritual blessing is available to those in Christ. How are you in Christ? Well, there's the initial in Christ of salvation. But there's the every day of in Christ, feasting on his word. Make no mistake about it. By the scriptures, the flesh and blood of Christ is fully explained. And in our passion for his word, we eat his flesh and drink his blood, the bread of life. And here's what happens when you do that. When you pour yourself into the scriptures, the most natural transition of all is from reading the word of God, reading about God, and what he is saying to experiencing him. In the language of God, prayer. That's what happened. Daniel goes to the scriptures, and where does it take him? It takes him to his knees in prayer. And so he says here, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands. We've sinned and done wrong. We've, we've been wicked and, and have rebelled. We've turned away from your commands and laws. We've not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The men of Judah people of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, and all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. O Lord, we and our kings, our princes, and our fathers are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving even though we have rebelled against him. We've not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel's transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Are you hearing this? Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You, you have fulfilled the words spoken against us and, our, and against our rulers by bringing upon us great disaster. Under the, under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. 
just as it is written in the law of Moses. All this disaster has come upon us. Yet we've not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring disaster upon us for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does. Yet we've not obeyed him. Now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day. We've sinned. We've done wrong. O Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our fathers have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, O Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, listen. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hear and act. For your sake, O my God, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. This is history. This is prophecy. This is today. This is the present. What has happened to us? What has happened to our culture? Jesus said, um, and nearer the end of his own ministry, earthly here, he, he said the question, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? That's the question Daniel was asking as he looked around. Why would God come and rescue us? I'm not sure if he looked around here we would find any faith. And so the scriptures tell us, where must judgment begin? 1 Peter 4, 17, judgment must begin in the house of God. At the same time as the Canadian government is creating an agency for the freedom of religion, the Ontario government is putting through legislation to force Catholic schools and private schools to endorse student clubs dedicated to unnatural and immoral sexual expression. When my parents were in the heyday of their church ministry, they would have never, ever imagined that these things would happen in our country. We need to become cultural rebels who stop our headlong plunge into the deep end of our sinfulness and stop sinning. We are either in our society fast-tracking through the visions of Daniel or this is the end of us. Because in Romans chapter 1, verse 18 and following, the very legislation that the Ontario government is seeking to pass is proof positive that the wrath of God is being revealed on us. And all Daniel could say is, we better pray. And so he did. And I want to share with you quickly a couple of insights into this prayer this morning. This is what the fellowship of prayer is. When a healthy believer walks into the presence of God, 
the first emotions or words are, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, God. That's what Daniel does here. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away. We have tuned out the preachers. Oh, God, we have sinned against you. As he's hoping for liberation, as he's hoping for relief from exile, he realizes in looking around at himself, looking at his own heart, looking at his own life, and looking at the people around him, God, we have sinned. We've rebelled against you. We've turned away from you. The distractions and trials of life often cause us to forget about the grand and amazing things of God. And we get so swept into our society, so swept into our culture, we start to settle for the petty and the small. And, and we lose sight of a grand vision of God and all the great things he wants, to, wants for us to have. And, and I think God has opened up for us a, a new longing heart here at Calvary. As we've walked into the book of Daniel with his grand visions of a great and mighty God. For us, we want to settle for nothing less than the great power of God to change us and to transform us and to accomplish great and power. Things And all of us are looking at one another and saying, when, Lord, when will you really break through? When will this place be filled, stuffed to overflowing, two services, chairs set up in the aisles everywhere else? When, oh God, would you do that? And why, oh God, not now? Because only the eternal God will satisfy our eternal longings. And so Daniel gets on his knees and prays. And, and notice what he sees. He, he says, I pray to the Lord. L, capital O, L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's Yahweh. That's the great I am. I, I saw him. That's who he is. And he talks about the Lord, the great and the awesome God who keeps his covenant of love. <clears throat> he says, this is what I see. This is the great thing I see. When Daniel comes into the presence of God, he's in the presence of holiness. That always happens. When Isaiah came into God's presence in Isaiah chapter 6, he says, Woe is me, I am a sinful man and I live among a sinful people. How have we treated God for his eternal goodness to us? Daniel says we've just sinned. (coughs) We've done perverse things. We've acted purposely against God. We're responsible for high treason. We're bearing the name of God and there's no power in our lives. We're, we're a mockery. People look around at us and they, they look at us and say, you serve the living God, you serve the God you claim, called the universe, the heavens and all that's in them into existence. <laughs> look at you. You can't even keep your marriages together. You can't even keep yourself free from addictions. You can't, even, you can't get yourself free from your sin. What are you talking about? What kind of gospel are you trying to sell? What kind of power of God is really changing you? It's not changing you. Instead of loving him, we've sinned against him. We settled for a a camping trip to the dump when we could have had a night at the Grand Canyon. Instead of obeying you, Lord, we've turned and tuned out your preacher's who, who intentionally serve God by feeding the flock the bread of life. 
Instead, we are feeding on the leftovers of picking apart our husband or our wife or the latest victim in the way of us. And we look at each other and we say, we know what the Bible says. I know what the Bible says. But I don't want to do what the Bible says. That's the point that Jeremiah was making. For 23 years, God sent you the prophet Jeremiah to preach and other prophets to preach and preach and preach over and over and over again the word of God. It's not that you didn't hear the word of God. It's not that you didn't understand the word of God. It's not that you didn't know the word of God. It's that you wouldn't listen to the word of God. God warns and he pleads and he fights for us because he loves us. He's the God the covenant of love. What a description. So instead of turning from our sins and giving attention to God's truth, we give attention to our sin and turn from God's truth. But the Lord maintains his unflawed rightness. He says in verse 7, but, the Lord, but Lord, you're righteous. And, and, and look at us, we're covered in shame. We're covered in it. We're covered in our sins. We're covered in our perversities. We're covered in our treason. We're covered in it, Lord. And at issue always for us when we're covered in it is separation from God. We think we can somehow get what we want if we hold out rather than turn to God. Maybe that worked when you were a kid trying to manipulate your parents, but it won't work with God. He will never, ever allow you or give in to what is death to you. Never. When you choose to sin, you choose to suffer. Sinning is literally Christian masochism. And so Daniel prays. And by the time he gets to verse 15, he says, Now, O Lord, our God, who brought us up. I mean, you saved us with your mighty hand. And you've been right in what you've done. You, you've kept your righteous acts. But now, Lord, please turn away. Turn your anger and wrath from us. And in verse 17, he says, Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions. Listen, when a child of God steps over that threshold from earth to heaven in prayer, the most natural act is to ask God for what you need. Oh, God... Forgive us of our sins. He cries out and asks the Lord. And and in that seeking of forgiveness, when you come to the place where you realize that that the covering of shame is you, and you come before God with repentance, you turn toward him and you ask for forgiveness and you seek him, the, the, the face you see is the most welcoming face in all of the universe, God who opens up his arms wide and says, come to me. Come and ask the language of trust and dependency. You know you are really in contact with God when you are moved to ask. You know in our prayer lives when we wonder sometimes of saying, I, I don't know if I'm just spouting off into the air. I don't, I don't really know. Is God really listening to me? Listen, if you are asking on behalf of others, if you're asking God to help you, then you've come in contact with God. 
Because he moves you to do that. That's what he wants his children to be about. That's how God wants his children to live. Asking him, receiving from him. We are nurtured not by um, what we think we deserve. We are nurtured by grace. That's why Daniel, near the very end of his prayer, in verse 18, he says, We do not make requests of you because we are... Are, are righteous, but because of your great mercy. I can't tell you the number of times when I've wanted something so badly from the Lord, and, and the first thing that comes into my mind is to start to bargain with him. I start to say, Lord, but, but wait a second. I'm going to preach your word on Sunday. I, I, I'm, I'm seeking to live right before you. I, I, I think I've confessed all my sins, Lord, today. I, I think I'm clean before you. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hammering it out there, Lord. I'm trying to get the gospel into the Durham region, Lord. Please give me this because of what? My righteousness. Come on. And we bargain with God. Daniel says, you, you don't bargain with God. You come with your spiritual hat in your hand and you say, oh, Lord, I'm not coming to you because I think I deserve anything. I'm coming to you because I know who you are. You're a merciful God. I don't come to God because of righteousness. I come to God because of his mercy. That's that's the invitation he offers to you this morning. It's, It's come to God because he's merciful. That's who he is. And and God will make his will known to you. He makes his will known to you through his word. And it's from the vantage point of those same words. This prayer of Daniel is very theological that we communicate back to him and his words and he receives them. That's why in 1 John chapter 5, 4 and 15 and 14 and 15, it says you, 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 you will receive when you ask. This is the confidence you have in asking. If you ask anything in his will, you know you have it. You know you will receive it. See, the whole aspect of prayer is what God wants us, what God wants us to want is, what, is to want what he wants. That's what prayer is. To ask him, to, to, to call out to the God who's gracious and longs to give. And so Daniel comes and, and he prays and he prays for forgiveness and he prays that, that their sins would be turned from them and that they would turn. I want you to notice that in Daniel's prayer all over it, being truly in his presence, being truly in God's presence always moves us to an other's orientation. Notice the wording here. It's we, it's us, it's our. Daniel doesn't stand there and say, they're all sinners. Now in prayer, when you're really in the presence of God, you see yourself, you see yourself among the company of people and you realize that it's we, it's us, it's our, it's together. And we call out to the Lord on behalf of each other. What breaks your heart? You know what it was that broke Daniel's heart? He was ashamed. He was ashamed of the sin that was around him in the lives of God's people. He he was ashamed. He was ashamed at how we treat God. And as a leader, he called out. And he was burdened for other people's pain. He realized that the reason they were in exile and the reason they were continuing to be in exile and the reason that another wave of of fierce 
opposition came in and religious persecution and racial persecution came in and flooded upon them was because they would rather choose to sin than choose joy. And I don't know about you, but that breaks my heart. It breaks my heart when I see God's people living, limping around spiritually. Choosing the sinfulness that so easily encompasses us, burdens us, instead of the joy that we could have in Christ. Instead of every spiritual blessing that he wants us to have, those kinds of things break my heart. When I see someone who doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ and I look at them and I look, I look in the eyes of a, of a person who you realize doesn't have the love of God, doesn't know about God, and you can see it written all over their face. They know they're not loved, and they feel it. Sin is the sickness that Satan uses to keep you from having an appetite for the things of God. Sin is the sickness that Satan uses to keep you from having an appetite for the things of God. So what do you do? What do you do when sin has taken away your appetite for the things of God? When you don't feel like praying, start reading the Bible. God's voice will call you into conversation and healthy prayer will happen. I couldn't think of a better public testimony this morning than our brother, our new brother. It was God's word that changed his life. It was God in th- and through his word that called him into a lifetime experience of conversing with the living God. And sometimes... When sin so encompasses your life, you have to force feed yourself God's word. And when you do, God begins a conversation with you. You're on speaking terms again. And prayer happens. Now listen, prayer will either come from your heart or it will carry your heart. But prayer must come. As Daniel got to this point in his life and saw the sin around him and the spiritual apathy and the political poundings that all the people were taking, the visions of more of the same to come, what was his response? What, was his, what did he do? He read God's word and got down and prayed. He had a life-changing talk with God. Because what I've discovered in my life and throughout the scriptures for sure is that God does not separate the accomplishment of his purposes from prayer. So as we move forward this year, longing for God to do great and mighty things, but don't long for God. As we want joy, but hold on to our sin. We want relief from the shame we wear, but but we want to hold fast to grudges and bitterness and unforgiveness like trophies to our toughness. When we want to be moved, when we want to feel something, but want to live with a hard heart towards God, 
I have one question to all of us. How long do we want to suffer? Spiritually this morning, you are either in the promised land relationship with God or you are in exile. If you're giving habitation to your sin, you're in exile. You feel it. You're estranged from God. You came here to church again hoping that you would feel differently. You'd hoping you'd feel something. But you're not going to feel anything. And you're not going to experience change unless you face your sin. That's the bottom line. We lose our fear and reverence for God because we lose our vision of his majesty and holiness. And our vision becomes blurred when we stop really reading and really praying. We may pop into church, but we have long ago checked out of his presence. Beloved, when it finally stops being about you and becomes about him, healing will come. So we know from the scriptures that God blesses a pure heart and an upright life. What does that look like? The first evidences of a pure heart and an upright life and the ongoing evidences are we become people who right wrongs and relieve the oppressed. But listen to me. It always begins first by righting the wrongs in my life and the wrongs I've done to my family and by relieving the oppressed in my family first. So how long, beloved, how long will we put up with a little tiny trickle of God when we could have a whole ocean of his majesty How long? And Father, your word always brings us into an awareness of who you are and your presence. Lord, we can't go into your word and into prayer without truly experiencing the living God among us. And our Father, this morning, I just believe your people here are already at the end of how long. We don't want to put, we don't want to put up with this any longer. Lord, we, we believed in our hearts and we believe in our hearts that you have great things in this year in store for us. Great and powerful things, things we've never seen before. And our God, it seems to me that you have brought us to this moment as we look around and say, wow, we sure, we sure long for something more than we've had why? Why isn't it more? Why, why is it so hard? Why are our marriages not healed? Why are our relationships not healed? Why are our addictions still upon us? Why is the power of the enemy still oppressing us? Why are we in captivity? Why are we in relational exile to Lord God? And you are saying to us, Lord, today, it's because of your sin. Get rid of it. So today, Lord, is the day. Today is the day we make decisions. It's long enough. We want out. We want to turn to you fully. 
We want to get released from our sinfulness. We want to confess our sinfulness and get forgiveness from you today, right now. Right now is the time that you can work powerfully in this congregation and take us to places we never imagined, in our families, individually, as a church, in this region. Oh, God, we have sinned, and we want to come back. We want to turn to you. In just a moment, Hiram and Pastor Steve are going to sing, give you a chance to think about what God is doing in your life. Why don't you make this a meditation time? Keep your heads bowed. Let God work in your heart. And here's what we want to do. I'm going to invite you to make a decision this morning. If there's stuff in your life that has to go, no matter how big or small it is, and you know what? The first thing that will hinder you is pride. Forget the pride stuff. Today's the day to do business with God. Let's do business with God. Let's do business publicly with God. Let's make this front of the church a place of prayer and confession and on our knees in prayer, asking to be prayed for. Whoever you are, wherever you are, however many of them you are, let's get up here. I'm going to start. I'm the first one up here saying that I'm dealing with this in my life. This is who I am. And I'm going to invite you to come and just come. Will there be people here to pray for you? Our staff will be here. There will be people that are prayer. You can just pray by yourself. Kneel on the, kneel on the steps here. Just make, do business with God. You make this an altar of change in your life so that the power of God will change you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.